0: Hello, and welcome to Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about the people behind today's virology headlines, people working to understand viruses and how they affect you. We are talking with virologists, graduate students and postdocs that belong to the American Society for Virology, so that you can learn who they are and what they do. I am Larissa Thackeray, and I'm hosting this podcast from America's Heartland in St. Louis, Missouri. On September 22, 2021, we talked with Dr. Baldeep Kari, a postdoctoral research associate in the Kuhn Lab at Purdue University, who studies the structure of proteins, protein complexes, macromolecular assemblies, and viruses. Baldeep has a master's in biophysics from Punjab University, India, and a PhD in structural biology from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. She is currently using cryo-EM microscopy to study Usutu virus, an emerging flavivirus. Thanks for talking with us today. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Well, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Balvi Perry, and I'm a structural uh, biologist. I'm currently employed at Purdue University in the Department of Biological Sciences. And I, um, I joined uh, Dr. Michael Rossman's lab in 2017, and I'm now continuing my research with Dr. Richard Kuhn. My research interests are in uh, determining structures of proteins, protein complexes, macromolecular assemblies, and uh, now viruses. So currently I'm working on uh, flaviviruses, mostly. Okay, cool. Well, we'll get back to that,
0: but why don't you tell us a little bit about how you first became interested, I guess, in science, since you're not necessarily, as you were saying, a virologist by training, but how did you become interested in science?
1: So it's uh, it's kind of hard to pinpoint a specific time, uh, you know, when that interest started. I think science is everywhere in life. And um, growing up, um, my father is a professor in mechanical engineering, and he has a tendency to explain everything while he's teaching you. So if you're learning how to drive a car uh, with a clutch, then while you learn the instructions, you will learn why you need to press it or not press it. Um, I also have uh, an older sibling whos uh, who's been an extremely bright uh, student throughout her life. And having that influence, was I think critical because uh, she was always very interested in science and nature documentaries, and I would tag along with her and you know watch those things. And she would also uh, teach me practically, like you know how to uh, sow kidney beans and grow plants, for example. So I think that interest in science was always there. And another thing is that I didn't grow up in India, I uh, grew up in Africa, and we used to have only a few hours of what we called the English Channel each day. And so we watched a ton of documentaries there, including uh, BBC documentaries like Microbes and Men. Um, And then other than that, I think growing up having uh, my father and my sister at home, they were also very natural teachers. So anytime I had a problem in school, you know, they helped a lot.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And um, where did you grow up in Africa? Libya. Okay. So was, was your dad there for his, like you were there for your dad's job or?
1: Yes. Okay. He was working there and I pretty much spent most of my former years there. Okay,
0: interesting.
1: Um, so then can you
0: tell us a little bit about, so how you then got to your master's, your PhD. So what was sort of the path that you followed to get into your higher education?
1: So, uh, the path to bachelor's and master's was again, very straightforward because parents moved back to India. Okay. And, and so I went to Punjabi University in Chandler, also known as the city beautiful. And it's, um, so I went to the university there for my bachelor's. And in India, you have to give an entrance exam to get into medical school or, you know, research areas. And so I had given that and I joined uh, the department of biophysics. So I did my bachelor's and master's honors in biophysics. So that was, um, you know, the, We had very diverse subjects, but I was not introduced to virology then. Um, And then for my PhD, higher studies, I uh, came to Birmingham, Alabama, and I joined the cellular and molecular biology program there. Uh, What interested me about UAB and this particular program was the departments and the faculty that was associated with it. And which was very diverse, which is what I was interested in. Even though I had, uh, even before I joined Bachelors in Biophysics, I kind of was very interested in structural biology and protein crystallography. So in UAB, um, there was a center for Biophysical Sciences and Engineering, which had a lot of uh, diversity in structural biologists more than anywhere else. And it was also directed by Dr. Lawrence De Lucas, who is both a crystallographer and an astronaut. So he has grown crystals in space, which was pretty exciting. Um, and then uh, for my postdoc, I stayed there for a while. And then uh, eventually I moved to Canada for another postdoc and then moved to India for a short bit and then came back to the States. Okay. Um, and I guess when you were sort of,
0: you know it sounds like you had you know a different a couple of different labs that you were in sort of can you describe to us sort of what would you what do you look for when you're sort of joining um, a lab for your phd for your postdocs or what are the attributes that you look to look for because you've been in a couple
1: so i think it's uh, probably important to mention here why i had that uh, zigzag back and um so while i was in my uh, PhD lab, continuing as a postdoc. After a year, about after my graduation, I had a personal. I, I had a few personal uh, life events, and that kind of uh, influenced my perception of, uh, you know, the visa system because I was an international and how that affected me personally and my flexibility to take time off. So I, and the other thing is that uh, funding issues in the States. So these three things, you know, uh, life events, funding issues, and visa problems were uh, kind of key in pretty much every place that I have been to since. So I, when I moved to Canada, I also had this interest, I've always had interest in uh, You know, going to new places and learning new things, because I've always seen that as a kid. Um, I've always done that as a child. So I, I was very much interested in a few scientists in the UK and New Zealand. But then the timing of things was as such that, you know, there was a position in Canada, and I was very, very curious. I really liked the lab. It was highly productive. It was structural microbiology. And, um, and then I decided to take it. And I guess, can you talk
0: a little bit, you know, so for people that are US citizens, like they don't really have to think about this, as as you were saying. So what is it like having that extra layer of, I don't know, stress or concern having to deal with visa issues and complication, um, sort of overlaid on just all the work and the stress of being a scientist? What's that like for you? So uh,
1: currently I've stopped thinking about it, I've stopped planning, you know, because, um, because I realized that those things are not in my control. And at the same time, um, you know, if there's a life event, personal or professional, which, you know, we at Purdue have w- witnessed in 2019, um, it completely shakes things up. So I was extremely fortunate to have Dr. kohn here and to be able to continue my research. But personally, it has been, um, you yeah, know, I've had a challenging last decade. So I have had to run against time in pretty much every postdoc. I have had to make sure that I have results that can be published. And um, to give in a dramatic example, <laughs> You know, I was in Canada and I had uh, this was my last weekend before I had to stop working because they, you know, employment is somehow tied to insurance and something. And I was working on these protein complexes and I couldn't get them to like they were the I had four or five complexes and they were extremely hard to crystallize. This was supposed to be a few months project and it was supposed to be done quickly. But, um, so I was doing all of them in parallel because I would take information from one and then use in the other and then understand how they are behaving. And this was the last weekend I had to take special permission from my PI that please let me work, you know, I won't be able to work again. So on a Sunday afternoon when I'm nauseous from overwork, then I set up this last tray of this protein complex that my supervisor was especially interested in. And that's the one that gave me crystals. So, um, and he didn't uh, believe me that, you know, he thought it was salt crystals, but I was like, no, this, we have the crystals of the complex. So fortunately we were able to uh, shoot most of them, four of them uh, in the next month. And so I collected data while I was flying back. So I understand that this is a very dramatic, uh, situation and hopefully it doesn't happen to everybody but i think it's important like you said how do you choose a lab you know you you have only so many things that you can control you know and after that i think one thing i was pretty good at after i left uab was staying calm and chaos and uncertainty so i didn't lose my focus you know, till that very last weekend. And I worked in the computer lab for the next month there. And then in 2019 at Purdue, I was, I actually started the super project uh, during that time after Michael passed away. So it's important to have that perspective so one doesn't lose time or focus, you know, because these things will never stop. So I think the U.S. citizens have a huge advantage.
0: <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit then about sort of the kind of experiments that you're doing now, and then maybe talk a little bit about some of the techniques that you're using for those experiments.
1: So um, the experiments and the uh, techniques that I employ right now, they are partly virology experiments, such as uh, virus purification, plaque uh, assays. And- this is, this is very, very basic. Uh, but uh, I purify my own virus and samples because sample preparation is so key to uh, structural biology. And I had also picked a new virus to work on, which nobody in the building had, or anyone had worked on that I knew of. So I had to figure out. And then I, I also want to be confident and, um, Know with my sample, whether it's a protein or a virus, how does that behave? If I change one parameter, how does what happens next? So, I'm uh, enormously curious about my sample. And um, the techniques that I use are basically cryo electron microscopy, that is the reason that I came to Purdue. I wanted to learn this technique, it was becoming more and more relevant for structural biology, and um, I have used both cryo-electron tomography and single particle analysis. So I'm trying to learn more.
0: Okay, and then can you tell us a little bit about the virus that you're studying, <clears throat> excuse me, and some of the structural questions, I guess, that you want to be um, answering?
1: So this is a, a completely, uh, you know, structurally unexplored virus still now. Uh, this is Usutu virus, it's a mosquito-borne flavivirus, and it was initially identified in South Africa in 1959, but then it was introduced to Europe and, uh, by migratory birds, and in the last two decades it has spread across Europe. So the interesting thing with Usutu is the its uh, rampant uh, prevalence in uh, asymptomatic individuals, but increasingly it is also uh, you know, becoming more common and uh, causing neurological disease in some individuals. So, since uh, and this is this has a parallel to West Nile virus, which was introduced to uh, U.S. in the late 90s. And this has, uh, you know, the it has a broad uh, host tropism. So there is a concern that Osteo virus can spread eastward or to the Americas So it's it's kind of uh, important to study, yet the, the uh, our understanding of the pathogenesis is still extremely uh, poor. Oh. So to fill in that gap, you know, we looked at the structure of this virus, and um, it does because we have two high-resolution structures of the two virus. We are able to uh, compare those structures as well as the features of the virus structures as well as the high-resolution features, which were not reported previously. So some of uh, you know, the questions that are uh, relevant are ho- virus-host interactions, and USUTU has a second glycosylation site uh, in the D2 domain of the envelope or E protein, and this is only present um, in dengue in other flaviviruses. So, but still, the position of the asparagine is slightly different in the suture than in dengue. So, how would that affect um, interactions with the host? And um, from the structure, we can also see that the RGD motif, which is another uh, key important thing for possibly for receptor interactions, uh, it's not available for binding. So, these kind of things wouldn't have been possible to know without high resolution structures. And one of the other key um, findings is the presence of asymmetry in the fusion loop uh, between the two structures.
0: So I guess one other question is, so with the two uh, techniques that you mentioned, um, can you sort of describe a little bit more how you computationally Mm, use the data that you collect. So for those who are not uh, structural people or x-ray crystallographers, what does it mean when you're sort of like collecting data and then how do you take that data and actually um, uh, model a structure in a way? What what exactly do you do? Well, I can
1: uh, kind of briefly mention this because it's a whole topic for a couple of days of workshop. (laughs) Um, but uh, to just give a very brief overview uh, with the prior electron microscopy, once you have purified your virus sample, you'll put it on a grid and uh, freeze it. So essentially the uh, virus or the virions in that sample, they are embedded in a layer of ice, liquid ice. And then you put it in a microscope and you're going to take different projections. And in case of single particle uh, analysis, the premise is that your sample is identical. You know, it's uh, the copies of that protein or virus are identical. Now with a protein, um, you could imagine that happening more easily, but flaviviruses not so much because flaviviruses have heterogeneity. And this is more obvious with Dengue and Zika. um, And that is another difference with Usutu because we have, um, you know, really low heterogeneity. So I was able to get really nice mature particles and every one of them is identical. So you select and extract them and then align uh, the frames and then average them. So, and then average them and then do a 2D and 3D classification. So you can um, enhance the signal to noise ratio and you can get an average for a reconstruction in real space. Now, in cryo-electron tomography, uh, which I have used for rubella virus, uh, not uh, you know, if you if you have a sample that is good and you have identical copies, uh, one should use single particle analysis. There's no reason to go to tomography. So, rubella virus is pleomorphic, and um, there's another project that I was working on uh, on dengue real which were highly heterogeneous, which became a tomography project. So there, uh, because they are pleomorphic, they're not uh, identical. Then uh, it's kind of like a CT scan, except that um, in CT scan the patient is sitting, and then the you know the source and the detector are moving around it. So you have projections that way, but in tomography from those projections, which uh, are called tilt series, because they are at different tilt angles, a uh, 3D volume is constructed. And from that, sub-volumes or your particles are extracted. Now these are sub-volumes, these are 3D volumes. And from there, these are uh, classified and averaged to get a reconstruction. Hmm. I So, see. so they're uh, essentially used for different uh, you know, different samples.
0: I see, I see. What other kinds of information can you make um, sort of hypotheses about? So obviously, like you were saying, potentially um, receptor interactions. Is there some other sort of types of information that you can, can gain from a virus structure?
1: From um, the Usudo structures, we, we, um, we can learn a lot because there are a lot of, it's a high, these are both high resolution structures and we can see details that we haven't seen before. So another, um, you know, another feature that is present is the presence of lipid sites, lipid interaction sites. Now the pseudo structures, one of them um, was reconstructed using the map was reconstructed using really high number of particles, 285,000. And in both the maps, we can see the density for Uh, three lipid sites, which nobody has reported previously. And um, and the fact that other, uh, you know, recent structures report only one of them, uh, that could be due to either, you know, the higher number of particles that we are using, or it could also be, uh, you know, what are those two sites doing? What are the functional implications of those two sites? And this one of them, which is present in all of them, could be functionally relevant for all flaviviruses. Hmm. And uh, the other one, are we not seeing it because of the resolution? Or is there another reason? Because that site has an arginine uh, nearby, which is, in Usutu, it's interacting very closely. So there's continuous density between the arginine and the lipid. Um, But that is kind of pointing away in, uh, for example, Zika virus. But the arginine is conserved. Hmm. So, um, so, you know, I think it's, uh, it's a combination of techniques, uh, both virology. And, it's it, you know, I think it will be very, very exciting to figure out what is happening and why it's happening. Uh, another thing um, in terms of implications for uh, flavivirus biology is the presence of this asymmetric um, disulfide in the fusion loop. And uh, because we have seen that in one of the reconstructions and not the other, the one with the lower number of particles, we think that this is slightly a subpopulation. And um, you know, the density for the disulfide or the presence or the absence is crystal clear. So it's not like um, it's broken or maybe it was present in some particles and not the other. So, you know, the average is very, very clear that it's there and it's not there. So why would that happen? And what does that mean uh, if there are subpopulations and we are only looking at, um, you know, we are only looking at what we can catch with
0: Hylia. Is this a mammalian cell derived virus or insect cell derived virus? And do you see a difference in sort of Potentially a role for okay. lipids in one versus the other.
1: So I have not compared that uh, with USUDU. I st- uh, went straight uh, with B cell purification, uh, infection purification, uh, mostly again because of time and other reasons, you know. So what's next for
0: you? So you've now done a couple of postdocs. What are your thoughts about your next step?
1: Um, I think uh, the next step is, again, uh, sort of, you know, it, it's still dependent on the same factors. What I would really like to do is to stay in research in infectious diseases and hopefully be in a place where I have a flexibility and freedom to do experiments and pursue questions and also have uh, an excellent group of, uh, you know, colleagues like at Purdue and who are, um, You know, who have their own strengths and everybody looks at the same problem differently, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, asks very different questions, looking at the same thing. I think those things excite me very much. So any opportunity that I get, um, you know, industry, academia would be interesting to me.
0: Right. Right. And then, can you just reflect a little bit what the last year and a half has been like during the pandemic? So it's been obviously difficult for everyone in different ways. What has it been like for you?
1: Um, so since I have uh, you know moved around a lot in the last decade, um, I have you know encountered those um, you know mental space where you have to uh, keep yourself calm. So you know the pandemic did not really phase me at all. I was about to uh, leave for India at the end of March, and I spent a few uh, weeks trying to catch up with the news, whether this was a good idea or not. But then thankfully the flights were banned and it was decided. But um, but other than that, I think it's only the the negative news and uh, listening to too much of news. (laughs) um, that, you know, kind of gets to me, but I'm, you know, I think I'm mindful enough that I can assess and adjust. So, I mean, because, uh, there are things that you can control and things you can't.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for talking with us today. It was nice talking to you. Thank, thank you All right. So this has been Let's Meet the Virologists, a podcast about people who study viruses. This is your host, Larissa Thakray, and thanks for listening. You can find us on Google, Apple, Amazon Music, Spotify, and other podcast providers or at lmtv.podbee.com